Guys, good morning. It's great to see you. Um, I think we made the, a good call. As we began, it just started sprinkling out there this morning. So um, glad, glad to be able to, you know, it's a privilege. There are, I have friends right now who are leading churches, and they don't have the privilege of having their own building, you know. And uh, so they were doing the same thing we were doing, meeting in a parking lot, and um, then, you know, rain comes, and then they just can't do anything. So um, I know there's politically and uh, just personally, there's mixed feelings about being inside buildings right now. I get that. I totally get it. Um, but I just think we need to even, no matter where we are on that spectrum, just say, God, thank you so much that we have the ability to be able to meet inside a building together um, and continue to gather in person. And so I'm so grateful for that. And just Man, it, I just want to encourage you as well. It's so good to hear your voices um, singing, you know, in worship. There's something about that, right? When you when you hear somebody else's voice, um, and in unison, I, I imagine um, you, you ever get sung "Happy Birthday," right? Most of us, if you've ever been alive. <laughs> okay, that's kind of a stupid thing to say, um, but you know that feeling when somebody's singing "Happy Birthday" to you. And the whole room is singing that to you. Just, I, sorry, just think about how Jesus feels when we're all singing to him, you know, and the beauty of that and hearing all the voices anyways. So that's a tangent we're not going to get on this morning, but um, do I do it? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, we're, we're in a sermon series called The Incomparable Jesus. Why have we called it that? Because we believe Jesus is incomparable. There's nobody like him. Uh, there's nobody who can hold a candle. Is that the word that we say? Hold a light to him. There, there's nobody who, he, he's, he's so much like us in the sense of he's fully man, but he's so much not like us that he's fully God. And over these past weeks, we've looked at these, some characteristics and truths about the character of who Jesus is. One being, Jeff helped us understand that he's a friend of sinners. And sinners aren't those people, right? The sinners aren't, oh, those, that group of people, we're the sinners, you know? And he's a friend of us, and he welcomes us. And we, we also looked at this truth about how Jesus is other, and he's powerful. And remember how he calmed the storms, with a word, he just says, be still, right? And all this raging storm out of, in, a, in an instant goes from howling and waves crashing over in the disciples' boat being filled with water and they're panicking, thinking they're about to die. And he wakes up, wipes the slobber off his face and says, and then in my name, stop it. And it stops. And we're going to continue with this understanding of who Jesus is, and uh, we're going to talk about a portion of Scripture here this morning that can be particularly, what do you call it? I don't know if word polarizing is the right word, but some of us are going to absolutely love this portion of Scripture, because remember how we've talked about every week, what do you, who do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Who do you understand who Jesus is, right? All those questions, whether Jesus is the really nice guy all of the time and he always just kind of turns blind eye and he winks at your sin and he's like, there, there, he's just model coddling you and he's always just like, it's going to be okay and we love that portion of Jesus. We're going to see today that 
Although Jesus loves us and Jesus is the one who's able to put his arm around us and sympathize, and as the writer of Hebrews says, he knows every weakness, he's been tempted with every weakness, yet he's overcome them, and so therefore we put our hope and trust in him. He's not just the Savior who comforts us. He's not just nice. If you've ever heard that Jesus is a nice guy, you don't really understand the whole truth of who Jesus is because as we're going to see today, Jesus is not nice. Ooh. And there's some of us who are like, oh, I've been waiting for this, right? This is the portion of Scripture where he's going to give it to, you know, those guys. And we're going to read through that. No matter where you stand this morning, can I encourage you to say, Jesus, let me see you for who you truly are. Let my heart be open. You know, Jesus tells his disciples about throwing seed on the ground. It's called the parable of the sower. And he says he scat- the farmer scatters seed, and some of the seed falls on hard ground. Some of the seed falls on soil, but then it just takes root, but the soil's real thin, and then it just dies when the sun comes by. Some of it, the birds of the air come and steal away, but some of the seed falls on really good soil. And on that good soil, the, it goes, the roots go down deep, and then it starts to bear fruit. And no matter where you are this morning, can you ask the Holy Spirit to help your heart be good soil? I'm asking for the same thing, because I definitely have a propensity when it comes to understanding the truth of who Jesus is. I prefer certain aspects, certain characteristics of who Jesus is, and I like some of those more than others. And to be honest with you, today is one of those particular portions of Scripture. I told my wife, I don't trust myself to preach this today because I really, really, really like this portion of Scripture. So no matter where you are, though, I'm asking God, let me not just hold on to the things I like. Will you come and challenge me? Will you come and encourage me? Will you transform me where the soil of my heart is rocky or needs to be tilled? Will you come and do that? Can we, can we do that together this morning? Let me, I think maybe let's ask God to do that. Yeah, so let me pray for us. God, we come to your word this morning and we ask that you would do exactly that, that you would take your word and that you would bring transformation in our hearts, that you would not allow us to retreat to our corners, to put up our walls, to hold to our preferences, but Lord, that you would, by the, by the gentleness of your Holy Spirit, but yet the strength of the Holy Spirit, will you let us let our walls down? And we say, God, come and change us from the inside out this morning by the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, And everyone said, amen. All right, so what do you think about Jesus? I think specifically I want to ask you this morning, what do you think about Jesus and religion? Jesus and religion. For some of us here, those go hand in hand. Well, what do you mean? What what kind of question is that? What do I think about Jesus and religion? They're, They're synonymous. And I would say we can't come to that conclusion this morning If we look at any of the Gospels, if we look at actually the whole narrative of Scripture, the whole narrative of Scripture is telling a story about God, particularly really highlights the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and it really helps us understand what Jesus thinks about religion. And so let's, let's, to help us answer that, let's turn to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to read portions of Scripture this morning. We're going to read the first 
through verses 37 through 41, and then we'll, we'll kind of chew on that a little bit, right? Marinate that and get all the juices, okay? And then we'll swallow it, and then we'll, we'll step on, move on to the next bite. But this first bite, we're going to look at Luke eleven thirty seven through 41, says this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. First of all, I, I don't even, like this part of the scripture baffles me. I'm like, how does Jesus, I know he's a friend of sinners, and we all love that because we're sinners, but he goes to a religious guy's house. For me, this is like hell. You want me to hang out with people who aren't religious? You want me to hang out with the guys who don't really get all the church stuff, who, who don't speak Christianese, all that stuff? I'm there. You know, Jesus is the guy rolling up. You hear the bass in the car. You open up the door, and he's getting out with these guys. And you're like, that's who Jesus is hanging out with? He's like, yeah, these guys are just real. So a Pharisee comes and says, hey, Jesus, come to my house. And Jesus says, yes. I'm like, hang out with the guys. Yes, hang out with the guys who just want to like wax lyrical and talk about how smart they are. I'll take a hard pass on that every time. Yet Jesus does. Why? Because he loves people. Let's continue here. It says, verse 38, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, speaking of Jesus, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Jesus is so nice. Verse 40, he continues his niceness and says, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Whoa. So right out the gate here, Jesus comes to the Pharisee's house, gets invited. Pharisee's thinking, all right, I'm going to go all out. We're going to do dinner. And what does Jesus do? First thing is he puts his hands out. And reaches, and as all the Pharisees see, they see dirt underneath his fingernails. Oh my gosh, what is this guy doing? He doesn't even, uh, he doesn't even take the time to go wash his hands ceremonially, yet let alone looking at his hands are dirty, and as he keeps reaching out, and he's like, with a big old grin on his face, he's like, give me the hummus. Pass the hummus. Nicodemus, can I have some of that hummus here? And everybody's like, ah! What is happening it says that they were astonished that he didn't ceremonially wash his hands. Now, I looked this up. There, was, there is re absolute ridiculousness attached to ceremonial, ceremonial washing of your hands before you were to eat. You had to wash your hands up to your wrist, and if the water were to go a little bit higher, you were considered unclean. And if it dripped down to your other hand, then you were considered unclean. You had to start this whole, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. It wasn't even about cleanliness. It was about these rules that they had added on top of other rules so that they would look and feel good about themselves before they were about to eat a dinner. We were watching a movie last night, and uh, it was a Nickelodeon family movie. These firemen, 
you know, they're all burly and all this kind of stuff, and these kids get caught up in the mix, you know, and you know how those movies happen, right? The hijinks happen, and uh, hilarity ensues, all those kind of things, right? But uh, there's this fire happening, and the firemen are rushing in their helicopter to put out the fire, and they, they scoop down into this lake to get water so they could dump it on the fire. And lo and behold, this lake is a protected lake for what? Toads. And so they get in trouble because they pulled water out of this lake for toads while people were dying far away. And it's the same kind of baloney oil that's happening here. Is that this religion is putting rules because this is the way we like it, this is the way we do it while people are dying. And if you were to ask the question, what do you think Jesus thinks about religion, Kelly? I think that as we continue through this scripture here this morning, I would have to say, I think Jesus hates religion. You guys okay? (laughs) I think he hates it. Now, what do I mean by religion? Because James says, this is pure religion. When you help the poor, when you help the widows, when you help the orphans. Are those the same kind of things, Kelly? Are you saying Jesus, are you saying Jesus hates the fact that we're gathered together kind of in this religious setting? that we're here worshiping Jesus, we're singing songs to him, that we're sitting under the word, that we're being disciplined, that we go to church, we do these things as Christians, Christian disciplines, we pray together. No, I'm not talking about that. Someone say, yeah, give it to him, Kelly. Jesus hates anything organized. No, that's not what what we're saying this morning. Jesus loves the organization of the church. He died for it. He created the church. We're the called out ones. We're the people who are meant to reflect him. We are the ecclesia, as the Bible says. So I'm not talking about religion in a sense of anything organized to, you know, that we gather at 10 o'clock. No, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about religion in the sense of I'm going to create a way where I can get to God and please him through my actions. See, that's anti-gospel the gospel is it's been done for me so therefore i respond religion is i do it therefore god has to respond to my doings and i think jesus hates that stuff you guys doing okay jesus knew that when he didn't wash his hands at the beginning he knew it was going to probably ruffle some feathers he knew with a big old grin as he put his hands in the taters what was about to happen? What do you think about that, Pharisee? Uh, we used to do wedding photography for about 13 years or so. And uh, let me just tell you, if you're ever at a wedding or any kind of like shindig that has a chocolate fountain, don't do it. Why? Because if there's children present, what do they do? Stick their finger in that fountain? Stick their finger right back in that fountain? And you think COVID's bad now. You're about to have some chocolate COVID. It's nasty. I remember seeing that the first time, and I got, that's it. It ruined it for me forever. I'd never eat out of the chocolate fountain. Jesus does something similar here. But he doesn't do it just because he just does it. He does it, I think, on purpose because he knew it was going to ruffle some feathers. So let's, let's talk about why I think and why I think Scripture here this morning gives us this understanding why Jesus doesn't particularly care for the religion of man. This system that men sit up, set up to try to 
earn brownie points with God as if he's some Greek deity standing far away and we got to yell and get his attention and do all these spiritual jumping jacks in order for God to give a care about us. That's not the way it look, works. So the first thing I would say, why do I think Jesus hates religion? Is because religion only cares about the external. You see that here. He says, you Pharisees, you're like a cup, you're like a plate, it's like on the outside looks really good. But the inside, your dish is full of stuck, stuck on macaroni and cheese from last night's meal and nobody is deciding or even looking at it and they know it's dirty, but they don't want to deal with it. And you're more concerned about the dishes that you sit out at tea time to impress the queen when she comes over. See, religion only cares about the external. Now, why is this a problem? <laughs> okay, religion only cares about the external. Isn't the external good? Well, sure, the external's good. It's not bad. We're not, we're not Gnostics. We, you know, we, we, we understand that there's something to be said about living a moral life. Yes, God's called us to discipleship and to be disciplined in our character. But why is only focusing on the external bad? Because external appearances cannot cleanse the internal sin. Let me say that again. External appearances cannot cleanse the internal sin. I was, I, I, we were camping, I, I, I don't know where we were, in a cabin somewhere, and I remember in the bathroom there was this little picture of somebody washing their hands, and it said, cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm trying to encourage you to wash your hands, right? Great. We should all wash our hands after we go to the bathroom. But no amount of washing your hands, getting the germs, the viruses, whatever, the bacteria off of your hands will deal with the internal virus that's raging in our hearts of sin. And no matter how, how good you appear on the outside, no matter how manicured your lawn looks, do you ever see these pictures on like Realtor.com or what are these... Zillow, or what's the red one? There's Redfin, or whatever. What do the, what do the realtors do? Lori will tell you. She knows all about this, right? They put the best pictures up of these houses most of the time. Okay, sometimes you're like, really? Your your picture's sideways, and you have an unkempt made bed. In the, like somebody helped this person, right? But most of the time, you look at these things and you look at the photos of this house, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's all HDR'd, so like the background looks all beautiful and the, somebody's color corrected it and they've photoshopped it, whatever. And, you, and then when you go and you look at the house, it's kind of not the same. And then what happens is when the inspector comes, he goes, yeah, it looks really nice on the outside of the house, but the plumbing, you're going to have to get all new plumbing. It's all steel pipes. This is like 40-year-old pipes. It's only a matter of time till the pipes go and you have a problem. By the way, your AC unit here, the compressor, it's on its last legs. It's about to go out, let alone the electrical. It's not even grounded in some areas. You're going to plug it in here, you're going to have a fire. Now, the pictures look really good on Zillow, but when you come to live in this house, you're going to find that you have tons of problems. See, religion is like these really good photos you put up. Nobody in your, you don't walk into somebody's house and you see photos of families arguing with each other. What's this picture? Oh, that was the time we went on vacation where, you know, 
our parents said we're going to eat hot dogs for dinner, but we all got mad. We were like, how dare you make us eat hot dogs? And we got in this family fight, so we just thought it would be really good to take a picture of that. No, it's everybody sitting with the white shirt and the jeans and the dog somehow is looking at the camera. And you look, is this how your family is all the time? Of course. Jesus says if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Wow, that seems really unfair. Jesus said if you harbor anger in your heart towards your brother... You've committed murder. Why would Jesus say something like that? Because he knows no matter of how excellent, how smooth our skin is, no matter how many times we get manicured, pedicured, go to the beauty salon, work out at the gym, all of those things that we put such high value on don't really matter because none of it can really change the inside of our heart. That being said, you should shower. You should do all of those things. All very good. Why? Because we love one another. Showering is helpful. Religion is backwards. We have to deal with the inside first. You ever been somewhere or you experienced any kind of weird religious rules? See, what, when we start to put the emphasis on the outside we start making up these weird rules, like what the, what the Pharisees did here. If you wash this way, it's not just, hey, 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 did, did you wash your hands before you put your hand in the hummus? It's, no, it's the way you washed your hands. And it, I, saw, I saw that drip down past your elbow. I'm sorry, you're going to have to rewash. No, all that junk, right? And so we start coming up with more rules to add on rules and more rules to add on more rules because last rules, what? Couldn't fix the problem. I, I listened to some real stories of some we- really weird religious rules. And I'm going to share some of, you, some of them with you this morning. One person said, my family was in a ministry group that believed that wearing jeans was a sign of rebellion. Because nothing says rebellion like wearing jeans. Now, think about it, though. This might be true because in the 50s, people started wearing jeans, and now we have terrorism. So that might be true. (laughs) One person said, we are not allowed to wear black polos at our Christian school because if you were black, it meant you loved the devil. We weren't allowed to swim together at youth camp because the girls could get pregnant. (laughs) It's not how that works. This one's really good. I knew a family that was not allowed to trick or treat because it was Satan's birthday. And it gets better. And then later, they had a baby born on Halloween. That's awesome. That's just God going, all right. (sighs) I was not allowed to dance at my wedding reception because dancing could lead to sex. I I don't know what was going to happen after the wedding reception. (laughs) Some churches reverse that and say, sex could actually lead to dancing. Mike gets it. Okay. 
At school, I knew a Seventh-day Adventist who was not allowed to eat shrimp because he believed you would go to hell. So, on days that the cafeteria would serve shrimp, he would give it away. (laughs) Starting to sink in for some of you guys there? See, what religion does is it makes our preferences higher than the Word of God. What it does is it, it takes like things like, I mean, it, these things are absolutely ridiculous, right? And we, we all laugh at them and, you know, if you're particularly like one of these things, yes, we're laughing at your expense this morning. But, you know, some of these things are like, okay, that's really out there. But this happens in our own hearts too. These are just absolutely more obviously ridiculous. But we hold our own preferences of what we particularly like and the way that we think our faith should be exercised, and if you're not doing it that way, then obviously you must not love God as much as I do. What about drinking? Some of us might have grown up in in homes where a, a parent or a family member was alcoholic, and so what we've done is we've taken this very unfortunate thing that has happened and has been experienced to us, but we've taken it and we've elevated it to the point of Scripture where we say, no, uh, we believe that you should never ever drink alcohol because this is what happens when Scripture absolutely does not give us the freedom to say that. Does it say don't get drunk? Totally does. Does it say don't abuse alcohol? Completely does. It says actually don't get drunk, but be, be drunk, so to speak, be being filled with what? The Holy Spirit instead of libations right but then what we do is we make these things rules don't smoke there's nowhere in the bible that says don't smoke why is smoking a cigar or a pipe more acceptable than smoking a cigarette because it's our culture it's nowhere in the bible now do i think smoking is a good idea not at all causes lots of problems but if we see somebody smoking did you did you see that guy smoking what about, what about politics? You say you're a Christian and you're a Republican? Republicans don't care about people. They only care about policies. You say you're, you're a Christian and you're a Democrat? Democrats, blah, 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 blah. How, how can you? And we put these rules. Oh, dear. I am running out of, that was only my first point. So just, just to kind of give an example of this, there's a story of a, a woman who, her, well, she would, she would make a roast for her family, and she, the, the family loved this roast. And what she would do every time she would make this roast, she would cut it in half, and she would put it in the oven. And it was, it was so tasty, right? And so the kids asked the mom, Mom, what do you do? What's the secret? She goes, I don't know. It's just something passed on. But from my mom, and she gave me this recipe, and this is the herbs and spices. Okay, but there's one thing you do. You cut the roast in half. Why do you cut the roast in half? Well, I don't know. My mom, my mom cut the roast in half. So the mom talks to her mom. Hey, hey, mom, your grandkids want to know why you cut the roast in half. And she goes, well, actually, I'm not sure. My mom cut the roast in half when she would cook it. Let me go ask grandma why she cut the roast in half. Hey, Grandma, 
We, we love your roast. It's, your, your great grandkids love it. They, they're, they're always bragging about it, but we want to know why you cut the roast in half. And she says, well, because my oven was too small. And Religion sets up rules in place of people. It looks at the outside more than the inside. And so let's, let's continue reading here. Let's take another bite of the scripture here this morning. It says Luke eleven forty two through 44. And Jesus gets really nice and he says, but woe to you Pharisees. This woe is the same thing where Isaiah sees God right? In Isaiah chapter 6, and he looks at God and he goes, whoa! It's like, man, I am damned. I am in trouble. My soul is in big trouble because I'm standing before a righteous God. And Jesus uses the same word for the religious people. And he says, woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb So basically, they had spice racks, and they were so committed to the rules that they would, even every every time they would give, they would go to their spice rack and give a tenth. Could you imagine that? A little bit of smoked paprika, a tenth of my smoked paprika here, a little bit of my garlic salt, and they would give that. That's how hardcore they were. He says, uh, you you spice, uh, you neglect Oh, I'm sorry, let me read it again. But what do you Pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So good on you if you think, hey, I need to do all this work, no problem. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like what unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. And what we see, religion not only just focuses on the outside appearances, but what it does is it holds rules more than people. It cares about, it's like that, what I was saying about the movie we watched last night, how dare you grab this water from this lake? Don't you know it's protected for toads? The firemen are, but, but there's people dying. Well, I don't care where you get your water from, you can't get it from here because we have rules that protect the less important things. Now, I know some of you animal people are freaking out right now. But animals are not as important as people, guys. That's, that's just true. And that was just a little fictitious movie we were watching last night. No matter how many rules you keep, your rule keeping will never earn you favor with God. See, it's that outside stuff again. Jesus told them that their rule-keeping meant nothing since they were not caring for other people. We could be guilty of this, right? If you want to fit in here at Southlands Chino, you got to look a certain way, you got to talk a certain way, you got to dress a certain way, you got to sing a certain way. When it gets to this point in the song, you got to like tap your heart. I don't know, whatever it is, we kind of create our little culture that says, if you don't do this, you don't fit in. Jesus was not all about that. The other thing you see here is I think not only does Jesus not like religion, he hates religion because it deals with the outside instead of the inside. It deals with, thinks rules are better than people. I think it also is because religion glorifies self over God. 
Look at this. I mean, he talks about how you like these best seats in the house, right? It's like this, oh, don't sit over there. This is where Kelly sits every Sunday. Might as well say reserved on it. Don't, don't sit over here because this is where Mike sits every Sunday, right? This is, everybody knows this is Tom and Natalie's portion over here. Why do they like this? Well, you know, the lighting just looks real good. It's not too loud. It's not too quiet. All of these things. And what we do is we elevate self. The thing about religion, what it does is it glorifies itself in the sense of, if you've heard me say this before, if you've done really well morally through the week, you've what? You feel really good about yourself. Why? Because I'm religious. I, I feel this way too, man. If I've like done all my devotions, if I haven't thought bad thoughts, if I didn't particularly kick my dog this week, just a little bit, um, if, if all of these things, if I spoke really kindly to my wife and I, I spent extra time with my kids, I even got down on the ground and got a little dirty with them. If I did all these things, I know God's looking down on me and he's going, man, well done, buddy. Woo! You did it. I knew you had it in you. And you're like, I know. You noticed? Oh, <laughs> But the, the other problem with religion is what it does is when you've kicked the dog, when you spoke harshly to your wife, when you didn't spend time with your kids, when you missed devotions and you looked at Instagram the first thing in the morning and it was the last thing you looked at at night, when you didn't show up at church, when you didn't give, when you were supposed to give, when you didn't speak to the person at work and tell them about Jesus, what you do is you feel kind of condemned on the inside. Why do we do that? Because we love religion. And it glorifies self. The better you do, the better you are. The worse you do, the worse you are. Because it's all based on our merit. See, the gospel says it's not based on your merit. It never can be. It never will be. You're, you know, can I just get really honest with you this morning? This is... I'm just going to say it because this is what Scripture says. The Bible tells us that our righteous acts, the book of Isaiah says, are filthy rags. Now, that word filthy rags doesn't mean you're a mechanic in a shop and you wiped grease off of your hands and you threw it in the bucket for someone else to clean. And you go, ooh, that word filthy rags is particularly talking about a woman's cycle and the rag that she would use, and then be tossed away. That's what Scripture tells us our righteousness is like when we try to earn God's favor. Abhorrent, disgusting, putrid. And yet we somehow think that that's going to earn us favor with God. It can't. Never will. See, the gospel we are ba- our righteousness is based on what's called the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus, which means there was a price that had to be paid for our sin because of the wrath of God. Is He's holy, and he has to exact his judgment against sin. But God, in his loving kindness, Jesus takes the place for us. And not only does he absorb the wrath of God and our sin, but he adds to us righteousness 
that you and I could never earn on our own. No matter how good we were this week, no matter how good you are for the rest of your life, it will never, ever measure up to the to the qualification that God requires from us. So God, in his love, sends someone who is perfect, absorbed the sin that we, you and I committed, and therefore did this beautiful exchange, as Hillsong says, and affords to us through the cross the righteousness that we could only ever get through grace. And grace alone. And that's the gospel of Jesus. When religion tries to reverse and pervert that and say, no, 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 yeah, 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 that's been done for you, but that's like old news, that's history. What you really need to do is move on to bigger and better things in Christianity and start earning this now. See, God paid a price, you got to pay him back. got to show him you deserve it. That's Satan going, earn yourself. religion does all right you guys doing okay last thing here let's read verses 45 through 46 again not again we didn't even get there this is what happens when you don't know what's going on luke 11 45 through 46 one of the lawyers answered him teacher In saying these things, you insult us also. Hold on. Let's just take a moment here. You see, what's really happening in this moment is this guy is feeling whipped, right? Jesus is coming, laying into him, and he's like, Jesus, um, some of us, while you were talking, we got together, and uh, we all agreed. It really hurt our feelings. And... If you look at Nicodemus over there, he's crying. Jesus, don't you want to say sorry to Nicodemus? I mean, it's the right thing to do. I mean, you being Messiah and all. Don't you you want to show you're the bigger person here? I mean, the Bible does say you shouldn't judge. Jesus, I think we all have our mistakes. Don't you want to kind of let them know what's going on here? Jesus goes, oh, okay. So you got offended by what I was saying. Uh, Verse 46, woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And he continues on and on. And on and see what religion does, and particularly if you're religious, it tries to change the subject and distract God from what really is going on in your heart. Jesus, how can you say such things? We tithe on our spice racks. We're really good guys. And to be honest, these are the guys in society that you want to be around because they don't do anything wrong. These are the guys you never have to call the cops on. These are the guys that, like, you know are going to do the right thing every single time. They're good, standing, moral people. 
Jesus says, woe to you. Because you're more concerned about these rules. You're more concerned about the outside. You're more concerned about the way you feel. And even the, the, the fact that you came up to me and said you hurt my feelings. You're trying to change the situation. You're trying to manipulate what's actually going on here. You're trying to twist my arm. See, that's what religion does. God, I've done all this, and so therefore you should. You owe me. We've been good, outstanding, moral citizens. You owe us favor. That's why I can sit up in the front and the church goes, oh, right up here, sir. And I don't feel guilty about it one bit because I earned this. That's why I wear big, giant hats. Well, the more religious you get, the bigger your hat gets. No? I mean, it's true. And then we give in to religion and go, where can I get a big hat? No, you got to earn the big hat. Okay, never mind. <sighs> this comes down to the idols of the heart. Some of us, I said at the beginning, we go, Jesus, religion, they're synonymous. No, you can't, you can't. You can't have Jesus and religion. It's one or the other. You can't hold on to the truth of who Jesus is and freeze us and again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about the religion in the sense of serving. and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this man-made system that is created to get us to earn favor with God. You cannot hold on to this and hold on to Jesus at the same time because two are at polar opposites and it will rip you apart. You're like a man trying to go up an escalator up and down at the same time. Like Elf. Is that what happened on Elf? It can't happen. And the problem is, you need to know this about religion. See, some of us here this morning, I'm saying stuff, and you're, maybe you're, you're like, mm, seething on the inside. How dare you? How dare you? Right? You're taking away the things I really like. Taking, you're saying this stuff about, like, this is what I've been taught my whole life. This is what I've put my, you know, all my trust in, all my hope. This is the way I live my life. I, rules. You, can, you cannot ha not have rules, Kelly. Yeah, I'm not saying that. But we can't lift our rules above God's rules. Never. Never. And it comes really down to idols in our hearts because we want things a certain way. And Scripture may never, ever put emphasis on those things. And this, it's interesting if you were to continue reading. We don't have time here. I'm already out of time. But Jesus continues when he says, okay, woe to you two lawyers. And he goes all the way back to Cain and Abel, right? He talks about it here. He talks about Abel. And what, 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 why does Jesus mention this? Because if we were to understand this picture between Cain and Abel, what we see here is these two brothers first brothers really in history that we, we can see, the brothers are at odds against each other. Not really at odds against each other, but the kind of the way they worship God is differently because one worships out of idol worship and one worships God out of really a gospel-centered understanding of worship. And so Cain, what he does is he, he gathers all his grain and his fruit and all his vegetables and all those things and he gives a sacrifice to God. But God doesn't accept Cain's 
sacrifice, and he accepts Abel's, and Abel does one of meat and, and all these things. And it's not because one was vegetables and one was meat, lest all you vegans and meat eaters get at odds with each other. That's not what the, the text is trying to say here. It's because something was going on in Abel's heart that wasn't going on in Cain's heart. See, Abel was giving out of a, a gratitude and, and a, of like, this is worship to you, God, and I'm going to try to give you whatever you require, I will give you all to you. And Cain is giving something that where he just goes, well, this will do. This will appease God. He'll look at this, and he'll look at my grain and my vegetable offerings, and he'll be pleased with that because it's my work that got this done. And what ends up happening is Cain murders Abel because the religious always wants to murder the righteousness it always wants to take it out because it wants to supplant the ways of God and his gospel it becomes jealous you didn't even earn that you didn't even make that little lamb grow I, made, I had to cultivate this land you didn't earn it and God's going to take delight on yours that you didn't earn it's not fair. How dare you? Takes him out. What does God tell Cain? He says, Cain, careful. Sin is crouching at your door. Careful. Watch your heart. You're giving into religion. You're giving into you're earning my favor, and you can't do it that way. It's crouching at your door. Cain ends up murdering his brother. See, the beautiful thing is, We've done that with God. We've done it. We've sinned. We've tried, to put, we've tried to put religion in the place. We've tried to earn favor. And when we've heard things like you cannot earn favor with God, we get down in the dumps and we can feel depressed and discouraged that there's a better Abel who came for us. There's a better Abel, a more imperfect Abel. And that's Jesus who came and he was murdered because of our unrighteousness, because of our rule keeping that we tried to do to exalt ourselves up over other people and say, look how good we are because I've earned favor. And Jesus steps in our place, the better, the more beautiful, the perfect able, and takes the punishment for us on our behalf. And when religion, sin, and mockery and twisted perversion of true spiritual righteousness comes and tries to supplant the beautiful gospel of Jesus. Jesus steps in that place and takes the beating for us. And that's why we're about to take communion right now. Will you stand with me this morning?